welcome to the 2008 Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets is a special time in God's plan of salvation for mankind. In fact, if we think about it, the Feast of Trumpets sits right in the middle of the plan of God. The two days of unleavened bread and then Pentecost, they picture a time before Jesus Christ's return. The Feast of Trumpets pictures the return of Jesus Christ and then we have three more holy days. We have, of course, the Day of Atonement, the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles and then the last great day. And all of these picture a time after Jesus Christ's return. So we can see why this is an important day for us, why we should be uh, thinking about it, thinking about its fulfillment and even putting ourselves in the picture so that we can understand uh, just what it would be like to uh, be in the place where we're going to be, whether it's the place of safety or, or whatever God has in store for us in the future, we think about the fact that Jesus Christ will return. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which, or who are alive will rise also to meet him in the air. So it's a wonderful time, and I thought this afternoon or this morning, wherever we're playing this particular, uh, this particular sermon, we should rehearse the important principles of the Feast of Trumpets. So what makes this day so important to God? Let's go to Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. It's Revelation chapter 11. You know, there are certain pivotal scriptures in the Bible, and uh, this is one of them. I, I love to read it, uh, because whenever I do read it, I think of uh, uh, the piece from the Messiah where... Uh, um, Handel uh, wrote these or put the particular words to music. Here it is in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. I mean, it, you couldn't get a, a better, um, you might say, verse to, to put all together what are our hopes and our, and our expectations and the very uh, thing that we long for uh, most of all, the return of Jesus Christ and him ruling forever and ever. There's another scripture too that I think we should look at at the early part of this sermon and that's Acts chapter 3. Let's turn there please to Acts chapter 3. And this is of course uh, a scripture that Mr. Armstrong uh, uh, used to say was, you know, he actually called it the most important scripture in the Bible, uh, but I'm sure that uh, there are many other scriptures uh, that we could consider at times are the most important scriptures, uh, scripture in the Bible. But here we have in Acts chapter 3, <coughs> in verse 19, it says, Repent therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So, here we can see that uh, there is a time of restoration or even restitution, a time of a refreshing, as it says, uh, and when things will be uh, put back as they should be. Satan, of course, will be put away as we uh, will be observing in just a few days' time, the Day of Atonement. 
And so we look forward to that time when uh, Jesus Christ will return and that's what the Feast of Trumpets is about. Now let us go this time to Romans chapter 8. This is also within the context of what we're saying, the return of Jesus Christ, the restitution of all things. And in Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul has this to say in verse 19. He says to us in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 19, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. For we know that, the, uh, then it says, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So here are three scriptures, the one in Revelation 11, the one that we had there in Acts chapter 3, and now this one in Romans chapter 8, that when we put them together, we can see that there is a, uh, a yearning on God's part, there's a yearning on our part, and even the animals of this earth seem to be groaning in expectation. You know, I was thinking in, in preparing the sermon here, I thought, groaning, that's an unusual word to use, but I thought then, you know, if you're listening, you're out in a, in a, in a field, and there are some cattle there, do the, do the cattle sing uh, pleasant tunes? No, they go, they make groaning sounds. (laughs) It's amazing. Then I thought, well, what other animals? Well, bears groan, lions roar, but with a, a groaning sound. And even the whales in the sea, when you hear them recorded, they also seem to be groaning. And, and then I thought, well, okay, but not all animals groan. You get some, some very beautiful songbirds that make beautiful uh, sounds. So, you know, as is always the case, you can't take a, an analogy uh, to its nth degree. But also, have you noticed that some animals, even when they are groaning, even seem to have at times a, a pained expression on their face? Well, it makes you wonder what what some of the animals are going to be doing in the kingdom of God. Well, I I don't want to go too far with my imagination. I think I've made the point. So for 6,000 years, the world has been polluted by our greed and the plundering of mankind. We're living at the end of 6,000 years and frankly, this poor old tired planet just can't take too much more. We need Jesus Christ to return We need to prepare ourselves for rulership in that kingdom. And time is getting shorter. So as we consider the Feast of Trumpets today, let's consider the part and the role that we can play in bringing about the wonderful world tomorrow, which in just two weeks' time we're going to be uh, opening at the opening service uh, for the Feast of Tabernacles. 
Let's follow the biblical account of this day and how we can be sure that we will be in the right place at the right time when its fulfillment comes. I, I think you would agree, would you not, that you don't want to be in the wrong place at that time. So we can do our part to ensure that we are helping God to do his part in helping us. Let us see what will befall those who will hate this day because, you know, we look forward to it, but when you read the Bible it says that mankind will think that Jesus Christ is some alien coming from the sky and they will fight against him. Uh, People will be so fearful at the day of the Lord it tells us that they will try and hide in the very rocks and the caves of the earth. So people's expectations of the day of the Lord are going to be very different. But we in God's church, those of us who have been called and have had the truth of God revealed to us, we can look forward to this day with excitement and expectation. So let's have a look then at Leviticus chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 23, and starting in verse 1. Leviticus chapter 23. Now, if you're new in the church, if you've just been, if this is your first Feast of Trumpets, uh, you will be excited to read these words. Uh, For those of us who have been in God's church for many years, guess what? We too can be excited about these words because they have such powerful meaning for our future and our lives. Notice in verse 2 of Leviticus chapter 23, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, not the Jews, the feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. And then he mentions the Sabbath day in verse 3, and then in verse 4, these are the feasts of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed time. Well, it's my job to proclaim the Feast of Trumpets for this year. You know, if we were back in ancient Israel, this day would be proclaimed with the sounding of trumpets. Uh, Now, we don't have any trumpeters here at the moment, but I think we can still uh, gain the the feeling, you might say, of excitement and and grandeur uh, that a trumpet announces. Trumpets play their fanfares uh, when a king is about to enter the palace. Well, our king is coming and I can tell you one thing for certain, there will be the sound of trumpets on the day that Jesus Christ returns. We're told that and in fact we're going to be studying some of those trumpets in just a little while. But notice here in verse 24, it says, speak to the children of Israel saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath a memorial of blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work on it, and you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And then it goes on to the Day of Atonement. So here is the first mention of the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, It's to be mentioned in other parts of the Bible. In fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter 5, we should turn there, 2 Chronicles chapter 5, Uh, we have an example of how the Feast of Trumpets was observed by the, uh, uh, by the Jews here in Second Chronicles chapter 5 and uh, starting in verse 3. <coughs> in verse 3, notice what it says. 
Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with the king, and this is King Solomon, of course, assembled with the king at the feast which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark uh, then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priest and the Levites brought them up, and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. I mean, what a scene. Uh, just an amazing one. But uh, now let's go to chapter, uh, sorry, verse 11 of uh, Second Chronicles uh, chapter 5. We're going to read verse 11. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the most holy place, for all the priests who were present had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions, and the Levites who were the singers, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, with their sons and their brothers, stood at the east end of the altar clothed in white linen, linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments and harps, and with them, listen to this, with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. Can you imagine that? 120 trumpets. 60 trumpeters on one side, 60 on the other, with their trumpets right up like this and blowing praise and honor to God. Verse 13, Indeed it came to pass, when the trumpeters and the singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever. That the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with a cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. That glory is known in the Hebrew as the Shekinah. And the Shekinah is the presence of God. And just as it manifested itself at the time of Moses uh, with the children of Israel, and when they received the Ten Commandments, uh, we read about it here. Uh, there's a time yet to come in uh, Ezekiel chapter 40, 41, 42, where the Shekinah will once again come into the temple of the Lord. It's a wonderful uh, part of Scripture for us to um, go through here this afternoon or this morning. Notice Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 1. Remember, Nehemiah uh, was a colleague of Ezra. And uh, they were... Uh, charged by God to return to Jerusalem at the end of the Babylonian captivity to establish the, um, the true worship of God once again in Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 1 it says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. No, not that water gate. This is the water gate in Jerusalem. <laughs> and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had commanded Israel so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear and under with understanding on the first day of the seventh month 
Which day is that? Today. This is a feast of trumpet service conducted by Nehemiah for the children of Judah that had returned from captivity in Babylon. Can't you imagine how they felt? Can't you imagine how wonderful it was to leave behind all of the pagan idolatry of Babylon and to come back and to worship the true God? There's a story there for us. We need to come out of Babylon. We need to come back to the spiritual Jerusalem and worship God on the Feast of Trumpets. Now notice in verse uh, 5. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And then all the people answered, Amen, Amen while lifting up their hands and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Just imagine that. Just reverence and respect for the great God. And then it mentions a whole lot of the people here that were, were serving, the Levites. And then verse 8 it says, So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Do you know what? That's the job and responsibility of your minister. Our responsibility is, as ministers of Jesus Christ is to preach and to teach. And these people, these Levites at that time, it says of them that they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense. In other words, they, they drew out the sense and the meaning of the Scriptures. They were able to engage the audience and bring them. Ezra must have been an eloquent speaker. And these other gentlemen here, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Yamin, Ahub, Shabbatai, and etc., etc., these men gave sermonettes and, and messages throughout the first uh, hours of the, the, the Feast of Trumpets. Verse 9, notice what it says. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the word of the law. You know, he said, this is a happy time. He said to them, in verse 10, he said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, I hope that we're taking the opportunity, or will take the opportunity on this day, to have a special feast. You know, that you can make sure that the lunch that uh, you have and the meal is a special meal. One that God would be pleased with. It's not just going to be just an ordinary another day. But no, this will be a special day to God. So why is this day called the Feast of Trumpets? With an S on the end, not just the Feast of Trumpet. Well, to understand this, we must go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let us go there to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 51. This, of course, of the... These, these words are the, the words of the Apostle Paul. Remember, of course, that the Corinthian church 
It was a church that you might say was somewhat spiritually naive and uh, uh, even baby-like. Uh, you know, he had to had to uh, speak in terms that they would understand. He couldn't speak to them strongly. But here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he took the opportunity to really teach them about this period of time that we're worshipping on today, the Feast of Trumpets. He says in verse 51 of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Um, I think uh, when I consider how many people in God's church are now in their, you know, their latter years of life, uh, I think one of the things that we look forward to is having perfect bodies. Um, I, I, I watch young children run and tumble and, and, uh, and duck and weave and, and go bob down and jump up and run around. And it's just such a wonderful thing to see children do that. Uh, and we're going to be able to do that with spirit bodies that are fit and alert and active and uh, so we look forward to the time when our uh, mortal will have put on immortality. Well, here we learn that the last trumpet is the time when we are changed from mortal to immortal. Now, what else? Well, we must go to the companion scripture, of course, of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. Let's turn there now to 1 Thessalonians. Once again, this is one of Paul's scriptures. And just as he, as he had revealed the mystery to the Corinthians, here in 1 Thessalonians 4 and in verse 13, he says to them, I do not want you to be ignorant, which is a sort of the same, almost the same way of saying, you know, I'm going to tell you a mystery. He says in verse 13, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. You know, my mother died <clears throat> back in 1967. And uh, she has a simple grave in the uh, cemetery in, uh, just south of Sydney in New South Wales, uh, a small town called Bulai. Uh, it's uh, between Sydney and Wollongong. And her, her grave is there. And very simply it says, Joyce Margaret King and gives the date of her birth and death and then it says, asleep in Christ. What a beautiful, simple statement. You know, that's now 41 years since my mother died and she's still asleep, resting, waiting for the time that Jesus Christ returns and she will be raised first with those who are asleep in Christ. Let's read on here in <clears throat> verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and we learnt in 1 Corinthians 15 that that is the last trumpet, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then he, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Where will that be? In heaven? No, no. He comes from heaven. He raises the, the first fruit saints, and we are all brought from the four corners of the earth to Jerusalem where we will co-rule with Jesus Christ for 1,000 years. And that's why it says in verse 18, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. You know, when we have a, a funeral in the church of God, the thing that is always noticeable to me <clears throat> is that our people, yes, they're sad and they're sobered, but you see on their faces a sense of calmness, an awareness that this is not the end. Yes, there's sorrow and there's sadness. That's, that cannot be denied. But you know, people who have no hope, people who do, do not know what we know, they often look bewildered, confused. They feel, you can see, that they are not certain about the future. And that's why we as ministers of God, when we give a funeral service, we are required by God to give the message of hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and then, the, well, he has been resurrected, but you know what I'm saying, the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the saints. So now let's go to the important aspect of this particular period of time and we're going to start in Revelation chapter 5. We need to lead up to the last trump and one cannot get to the last trump unless we deal with the first trump. And you can't get to the first trump until you get to the first seal. <laughs> You'll see what I mean. <clears throat> Here in uh, Revelation chapter 5 verse 1, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And of course, there was no one. But one of the elders, as it says in verse 5, said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And of course, the rest of chapter 5 is a wonderful uh, praise and honor towards God and towards the Lamb. Uh, look at verse 9. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Uh, verse 12 says, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And then we come to chapter 6. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud, with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now we have here uh, to show you and help you through these important 
seals and trumpets, uh, something which has been taken from our booklet on the book of Revelation. It shows the seven seals of Revelation, it shows the seven trumpets, which is the day of the Lord, and finally the seven last plagues. So let's start with the first seal, and notice what it says. The white horse, which is deception, or religious deception. Now we are coming to a time very soon where this religious deception is going to greatly increase and culminate in the false prophet doing marvellous miracles so that if it were possible, even the very elect would be deceived. And so we need to understand that religious deception is going to increase more and more over the coming years. And uh, we are not to be deceived. We must hold ourselves firmly in the hands of God so that we will always hold fast to the truth that has been given to us. Now notice here in uh, verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another and there was given to him a great sword. You know, it makes you wonder if that red horse has not already been galloping around the world. Uh, At one time it visits the people of Lebanon as they uh, fight with one another and kill each other and then it gallops away to the land of Kosovo and uh, bloodshed is is just constantly uh, being experienced there in Srebrenica or uh, in Sarajevo and then this wild animal with its gruesome rider travels to El Salvador or to some other part of the world. Well, I can tell you now, brethren, that this horrible beast, this red horse with its rider of of ghastly proportions, sadly is going to visit America, Great Britain, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and the peoples who are descended from the tribes of Israel in northwestern Europe. So this one, and this is the second seal, you'll see this here, where it says the red horse and war. The third seal is the black horse of famine. And so we are to understand that famine comes right on the heels of warfare. You know, when you have war, you have disruption. Disruption to the normal daily affairs of life, of, of, of eating and drinking and buying and selling and traveling to and fro. Look what happened to Kenya recently when that red horse galloped into the, the country of Kenya and left disruption and famine and disease. So you can see how these three horsemen follow well and truly on the, on the heels of of the other. <clears throat> in verse 5 it says, When he opened the third seal, I heard a third, a, a third living creature come and say, so, uh, Come and see. So I looked, and behold, a black horse. And then, of course, the last one is the fourth seal, the pale horse of pestilence. In verse 8 it says, So I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death, 
and Hades or death and the grave. And that followed with him. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death and by the beasts of the earth. So already <coughs> these four horsemen seem to be riding to a certain degree but we know and understand that that's going to get worse in the years ahead. Which brings us then to the fifth seal. And this is a period of the great tribulation or Jacob's trouble. And it's also going to be the time of the martyrdom of the saints of God. I know that we all look forward to a place of safety. But I think we have to be realistic, folks that some of God's servants will suffer persecution and some will die even before the Great Tribulation. Now we know from the Scriptures <coughs> that uh, those who have been faithful and are in the Philadelphian Church of God, or I should say the Church of Philadelphia, uh, that they will uh, go into a place of safety, leaving behind, sadly, a remnant who will have to endure the Great Tribulation. That's the fifth seal. Let's come to the sixth seal in verse 12 of Revelation 6. And I looked when I opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now these heavenly signs of darkened sky and moon and sun are spoken of in other passages in the Bible. Let's go to Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 24, and Jesus Christ refers to this time and ties it in with the four horsemen, and, of course, then the, uh, uh, the period of the tribulation. <clears throat> Here in Matthew chapter 24, verse 29, notice what it says. It says, Immediately after the tribulation of these days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The same events are referred to in the book of Joel. Let us uh, go back there to uh, the book of Joel. Remember Hosea comes first, <clears throat> then the book of Joel. And we're going to read in chapter 1 starting in verse 15. <clears throat> It says, Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. Is not the food cut off before our eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God 
The seed shrivels under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down, for the grain has withered. And so we have this terrible picture of destruction. And then in chapter 2, verse 1, Blow the trumpet in Zion. This is the Feast of Trumpets. Blow the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. For it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of cloud and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spreading over the mountains, a people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. And then there's a description of the land being turned into desolation and wilderness. So, this is another prophecy pertaining to the day of the Lord. So, what do we have so far? We have the first, second, third, fourth seals, which are the first four um, aspects of God intervening in, in end time events, which are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The fifth seal is the great tribulation, which lasts for two and a half years, also known as a time of Jacob's trouble. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 30, you'll read that, that our people will go into a terrible time of suffering and many of our people will die. But then we come to the sixth seal, which we have just read, the heavenly signs, and we read of that in Revelation chapter 6, verses 12 to 17. Now notice on the chart, uh, we have an, a short period of time here, just before the seventh seal is open. And we need to go to Revelation chapter 8, verses 1 to 6, and see what it has to say about this period of time. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. When he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel... Having a golden censer came and stood at the altar, and he was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. So that's that little period that we have here, silence in heaven. Now let's drop down to, uh, <clears throat> to uh, verse 6. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So what we can see here is that the seventh seal is actually the seven trumpets, also known as the day of the Lord, a 12-month period from the time of the end of the tribulation until the very return of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So that was the first trumpet. Green grass and one third of the trees are burned up. The second trumpet, one third of the sea becomes blood. One third of the ships and the sea life are destroyed by fire. Now what about the third trumpet? Well, one third of the waters turn bitter. This is a time when the whole of the world will be struck, stricken in verse 11 
by a terrible, terrible bitterness in the waters. Notice verse 11, the name of the star which fell from heaven in verse 10 is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Poisonous, undrinkable, but because of thirst some would even drink it and die an excruciating death. The fourth trumpet comes next in verse 12 and notice what it says. And a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Now we come to an important scripture in verse 13. And I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. In other words, it's saying, you thought the first four were bad? Listen, folks, the last three are even worse. And so the uh, fifth trumpet sounded and locusts wield the beast's military power. Yes, that's what it says. Verse 2, he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth and to them were given, was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And so they went out, <coughs> it says in verse 5, they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment people or men for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. <laughs> I've never been uh, stung by a, a scorpion, but from what I've heard, it's once again a terrible, terrible pain. And this goes on for five months. It says in verse 6, In those days men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee from them. What a terrible uh, curse this is that is poured out <clears throat> upon men and it says that they still refused to repent. <clears throat> Verse 12 says, One woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. And so the sixth angel sounds in verse 13 and as we read here it says, 200 million man army gathers and that's coming from the east. You know, the, the fifth trumpet which was the locusts wielding the beast military power the, the beast uses this terrible sting of a scorpion to try and destroy the armies from the east. The 200 million man army that comes from China and India and Japan and from the Southeast Asian countries and they march across until they come to the great river Euphrates. And then it says in verse 15, So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and a day and a month and a year were released to kill a third of mankind. I mean, we're now getting into absolute destructiveness. This world is now reeling with the punishment of God on mankind for their sinfulness. But it has to happen, folks, before Jesus Christ can return. He's not just going to come back at the beginning of the sufferings that we're reading about and say, oh, look, this is enough. No, God in his mercy, frankly, sits in heaven and says these things have to happen before Jesus Christ can return to establish God's government on earth. So the sixth trumpet sounds and then we actually leave 
this period, and we go through chapter 10, and halfway through chapter 11, with what we would call inset chapters, or half chapters, and then we come to the scripture we read already, verse 15 of Revelation chapter 11. And this is the seventh trumpet, and what does it say? The kingdom is proclaimed and Jesus Christ returns, the second coming. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign for ever and ever. And then there's this magnificent choir of 24 elders who sing glory to God. Verse 19, Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, and earthquake, and great hail. <laughs> Talk about a, a, a pyrotechnic uh, display from God. It's just going to be an incredible time. So where does that bring us to? Well, it brings us to Revelation chapter 16 and verse 7. And we have three simple words. Revelation chapter 16, verse 17. Let's go to Revelation 16, verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. This is after the seven last plagues have been poured out. Uh, you've, of course, uh, seen uh, that down here. The uh, first plague was the sores that afflict those who accepted the mark of the beast. The second plague is the sea turns to blood and all sea creatures die. The third plague is that rivers turn to blood. The fourth plague, mankind scorched by the sun, blasphemes God. The fifth plague, the beast's seat of government is afflicted. And finally, the sixth plague, the Euphrates River is dried up and world armies gather to Armageddon. And then, as the seventh plague is poured out in verse 17 of Revelation 16, notice what it says. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, and these are three simple words, it is done. Folks, it's over. This world, as we've known it, with all of its pollution and corruption and all of the sadnesses and sorrows, all of the sufferings of mankind warring with one another, uh, perverting uh, one another, uh, you know, treating each other with terrible contempt. It is done. It is over. You know, when Jesus Christ died and he said to his father in the last moments, he says, it is finished. Well, this time it says, it is done. Brethren, I can almost hear the collective sigh of relief from each one of us as we realize that this day pictures the end of this whole world suffering. You know, from this point on, we're going to go through in ten days' time to the Day of Atonement. Then we're going to go through to the Feast of Tabernacles. And I always find at the Feast of Tabernacles there's a peace and there's a calmness and a gentleness and a joy and a, and a lovely spirit that just comes over God's people at the feast. It's like God gives us a, a special measure of his spirit for those eight days. Well, you know, we can start now. The Feast of Trumpets. 
to really imbibe of the spirit of the Feast of Tabernacles. So how about we start doing that and start looking toward that. There's one last point that I do want to cover here. And it's the question of the Babylonian system that comes to an end. You know, it says here in Revelation 17, then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying, come and I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. I don't know if you've ever considered this, but this is a reference to a, you might say, a practice that was uh, instituted uh, by harlots, by prostitutes, in an an effort to, um, you might say, relax their customers, wrong word but you know what I mean uh, the, the women involved would, would, would take a cup and they would mix together different uh, ingredients to make a potion and in Alexander Hislop's Two Babylons he, he describes this potion in particular with reference to the Babylonian mystery religion he says on page 4 of the Two Babylons he says we read a quote from Italian historian Salverte, which says, these mysterious beverages were composed of wine, honey, water and flour. And from the ingredients used, there can be no doubt that they were of an intoxicating nature until the aspirants had come under their power. Other sources speak of wine spiked with potions that caused those who drank them to lose self-control. And that's what the beast and the false prophet are going to do to the whole of this world, not just the Europeans. People in Japan, in, in Argentina, are going to be seduced by uh, the horror of, Re- of Revelation here. In fact, it says uh, in verse 4, the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And God is going to punish Babylon for doing that. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 51. Jeremiah chapter 51, where he talks about the cup (coughs) uh, that is used here in Jeremiah chapter 51 (coughs) and in verse 7. It says, Babylon, this is... uh, Jeremiah 51, 7. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine, therefore the nations are deranged. And then we see that God actually allows the Babylonian system to do this. In Jeremiah chapter 25, though, there is another cup that's mentioned. So we have two cups. We have the cup of the the Babylonian whore, But here in Jeremiah chapter 25, God has his own cup. And in this particular place, in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 15, notice what it says. For thus says the Lord God of Israel to me, take this wine cup, this is to Jeremiah, take this wine cup of fury from my hand and cause all the nations to whom I send you to drink it. And they will drink and stagger and go mad because of the sword that I will send among them. 
That is the seven trumpets day of the Lord cup. It says that I took the cup from the Lord's hand and made all of the nations drink to whom the Lord had sent me. And he mentions to whom it went. Jerusalem first. Secondly, in verse 19, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, his servants, his princes, and all his people. All the mixed multitude of the kings of the land of Uz, and then the land of the Philistines. Verse 21, Edom and Moab. Chapter 22, verse 22, the kings of Tyre and Sidon. And we come right the way down to verse 26. It says, all the kings of the north, far and near, one with another, and all the kingdoms of the world, it says, which are on the face of the earth. And then it says, also, the king of Shishak shall drink after them. Now, who's Shishak? Well, Shishak is a cipher for the word Babylon. If you actually take the first, the letters of BBL, which is Babel, uh, and they are the first, uh, they are the letters B, uh, Bet, Bet, Lamed in the Hebrew, and you, you get the numbering of those um, particular letters in the Hebrew alphabet, which uh, is 22 letters, uh, 22 symbols long, and you go to the other end and count backwards, you come with Shin, Shin, Kuf, which is pronounced Shishak. So this is actually sort of like a clever um, cipher for Babylon. And it says that the king of Shishak shall drink after them. And that is the end of the Babylonian system. Notice what it says in verse 27. Therefore you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, of God of Israel, Drink, be drunk, and vomit, Fall and rise no more because of the sword which I will send among you. And it shall be if they refuse to take the cup from your hand to drink, then you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, You shall certainly drink. For behold, I begin to bring calamity on this city which is called by my name, and should you be utterly unpunished, which is causing it of course, talking about Jerusalem. But let's now go back to Revelation chapter 18. And here we're going to see how important it is for us in God's church to understand the symbolism of the cup of Babylon as opposed to the cup of the Lord. Revelation chapter 18, it says, After these things, verse 1, Revelation 18.1 After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And then it says, once again, For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. Now, verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Now that's the message for us. You see... You and I have been warned in advance of the great Babylonian whore's cup of a potion. You know, we're going to see the demise of America and the United, you know, Great Britain, the United Kingdom and the other countries of, of, of Israel. 
And then, whilst we go through, our people go through a tribulation, this, these people, the Babylonian system, the Gentiles of this world, are going to enjoy an incredible time of, of great prosperity at our expense. You know, I've often thought of the fact that, you know, we can buy cheap clothing in our countries that the Chinese make. Maybe they'll be able to buy cheap clothing which we've made for them. You know, there are tough times coming for our people. And so God says to us at the Feast of Trumpets here, come out of Babylon. Let us between now and the Feast of Tabernacles really consider how much we need to withdraw ourselves from Satan's system, the Babylonian system. Let us consider the entertainment. Let us consider the, the attitudes at work of, of sniping and griping, of rebellion and, and uh, gossip and all the other things that go where, wherever we get together with people. And let us withdraw ourselves. Let us be God's people, separate, called out, truly his people who have come out of Babylon. You know, our day has not yet come. We do not live yet in this world. Uh, we do not live in, in this world or share in the lusts around us. We keep ourselves pure and chaste. Our young people choose not to commit, commit fornication. They don't say it's all right to live together. Our young people say, no, I will not have sex until I get married. I mean that. Our young people believe that. And if you don't, then you are still in Babylon. Our people, our adults do not commit adultery. We do not observe the holy, you know, the, sorry, we do not observe the pagan holidays of Rome. We trust in God. Very soon, as I said, we're going to be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles and for eight days we will be away from all that is impure and perverse. We long for a time when all the world will no longer be drunk with the, with the wine of Rome's drugged cup. Hasten the day.